Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, February the 29th, 2024, once in four year occasion, a leap year. Uh, and yesterday, something equally unusual happened. Mitch McConnell, uh, at least according to the New York Times, ended an era not just for himself. He quit as uh, the uh, the top Republican in, in, in the Senate, but also for his party and perhaps even for history. Uh, lots of different interpretations of why McConnell quit, uh, according to The Atlantic, a left-leaning magazine. He surrendered to a certain Donald Trump. Uh, others, uh, not particularly keen on McConnell either. Vox believed that he broke Congress. And of course, lots of questions about who is going to replace McConnell, whether it will be someone from the MAGA movement or perhaps someone else. Um, all important uh, historical questions, not just for America and the Republican Party, but for the institution of the Senate, one man who's given a great deal of thought to McConnell and his impact, perhaps negative, particularly a negative impact on, on, on the Senate, is my guest today, Ira Shapiro. He's the author of a book called The Betrayal, How Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans Abandoned America. Um, the book came out earlier and uh, it's particularly relevant today. And I'm thrilled that um, Ira Shapiro, who a uh, former diplomat, uh, lawyer, writer, businessman is joining us. Ira, uh, were you surprised with the news yesterday? Did it strike you down? Andrew, thanks for having me on uh, to talk about this. Uh, I was not surprised that McConnell decided that this was the last year he would be leader. I had predicted that he would do that. Um, the precise timing, somewhat of a surprise, but between his age, his health, and the fact that he had already exceeded the tenure of any other Senate leader, he is the longest serving leader ever, those all pointed to the likelihood that his leadership would end. But of course, it's also true that the Natives in his party have gotten increasingly restless. He does not have the same control over the Republican caucus that he had. And that is, of course, a reflection of the Republican Party and move toward the control of Donald Trump, continued control of Donald Trump. The Senate used to be something of a counterweight to that, but Trump's influence on Senate Republicans has been very powerful. In some ways, I I have to admit I'm no great fan of McConnell either. But is he damned if he does, and damned if he doesn't? Um, Ira, if he doesn't aggressively, or if he didn't aggressively resist Trump, uh, then he gets criticized. And if he does aggressively. Uh, confront Trump, then he gets criticized by equally angry and vociferous people. Is there anything that he could have done um, that would have made a critic like you sympathetic to him? Oh, I think so, Andrew. 
um, without underestimating the pressures that were, are, were on him, I think what he should have done was oppose Trump after January 6th, when he pointed out that Trump had incited the attack on the Capitol. He gave the speech on the day of the second impeachment, which was as good a speech as anybody could have given condemning Trump's behavior and then voted to acquit him. So the last three years since then, with Donald Trump as now the inevitable nominee of his party running again for president, the Senate had a responsibility to check Trump. His, corrupt, his corruption and his overreaching and more important, his attack on our democracy and the Senate Republicans led by McConnell failed in that fundamental responsibility. So no, I don't, I don't forgive him for that. And I don't think, I don't think that it was impossible for him to have done better. He should have done better. Other Senate leaders, and I've worked with a bunch of them, managed to be party, members of party, but also focused on the national interest and their obligations to the country. And McConnell never did that. And so we are where we are. We certainly are, Ira, where we are. But let's step back. I don't want to make this exclusively another conversation on Trump. Sure. Tell us about this man, uh, Mitch McConnell, of course. Uh, um, John Stewart, not his biggest fan, uh, described him as the turtle, which has become a, a popular way to describe him. He's from Kentucky. Um, my sense is it's very hard to pin him down ideologically. How would you summarize the man, McConnell? What, what, where would you lead? You've written this book on him. You've watched him very closely for years. I think that McConnell is a remarkably capable politician. His success puts him in the record books, actually. He squeaked into the Senate in 1984, only thanks to the Reagan landslide. And then he's gone on to this incredible career. He was 22 years in the Senate before he became the Republican leader in the minority. And he's been leader longer than anyone else. So he's a remarkable politician. He's been very effective at obtaining his goals. The unfortunate thing is his goals have been partisan only, and he's been quite destructive on a whole range of fronts in terms of what the country needed. But let, let me jump in here, uh, sure. Ira. He's the head of a party with its own goals, aspirations, views of the world. Wouldn't the same be true of a Senate leader on the left, a Democrat? I mean, isn't, isn't that the nature of politics? You suggested he was a successful politician. He leads a party within the Senate, and it's their job to pursue their own agenda. What's wrong with that? I think what's wrong with that, and certainly there's a lot of truth, Andrew, to what you just said, but I think that our model 
We're not a parliamentary system like the UK or others. Our model, for better or worse, is a system that has depended on some degree of bipartisanship, which entails minority, some degree of minority cooperation with presidents of the other party, with senators of the other party. It's an awkward and difficult system, but to make it work, there has to be some degree of good faith, negotiation, willingness to compromise. The best Republican leaders were demonstrably Republican, like Howard Baker or Bob Dole, but they managed to compromise with Democrats when the national interest required it. With the exception, I we could talk about this, but with the exception of McConnell's commendable support, I think, for helping Ukraine, he would not, he, that's not his model. He has never done that. He has been purely a partisan and caused a, a great deal of harm to the country. And when I say that, I don't, I don't mean to be glib or superficial about it, but one example is when Barack Obama became president, we were on the verge of a second depression after the financial crisis triggered by Lehman Brothers' fall. We lost 750,000 jobs in one year, one month. McConnell was opposition leader from day one. He tried to prevent worked very hard to try to prevent the economic stimulus that was needed to save our economy. Now, other leaders would have found a way to say, Howard Baker would have said, look, we're going to disagree with Obama about a lot of things, but right now we have to save the country. And that's just one example, but it was how he started out dealing with Obama, and he worked to diminish that presidency as much as he could. Hasn't the mood, though, Ira, of the, the country changed? You, you treat the, 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 the subtitle of your book, The Betrayal About McConnell, is how Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans abandoned America. You treat America as these as this sort of abandoned waif or family. <laughs> People have been innocently exploited by, by the Republicans. But wouldn't the same be true if, uh, if, if with the with the with the, the Democrats controlling one one house or other of the of the the Senate uh, of Congress, and um, doesn't that reflect a different mood in the country in uh, in the media and indeed amongst voters? They don't expect compromise, and they're not looking for compromise. Well, look, you've you've put your finger on something that's important and I'll try to unpack it a little bit. There's no question that we're a much more partisan and divided country, polarized country than we used to be. Long period of time when the parties grew further apart. So the bipartisan compromises are harder to make. From my standpoint, that means that the leaders should be working harder to overcome differences rather than simply exacerbating them and reflecting them or exacerbating them. Now you ask whether it would be the same if the other party was in control. 
And I would say the record is no. When George Bush, George W. Bush became president under controversial circumstances after the Bush versus Gore decision, he found that he was recognized to be the president and that Democrats like Tom, Ted Kennedy and Tom Daschle and Richard Gephardt worked with him on some of his highest priorities. So no, they didn't treat him the way Obama treated was treated by McConnell. The question, you know, the question always comes up. Is the problem what the people are demanding and the people want? And I would say the answer is that it's the leaders that have failed. It's what about the, the change? Um, much of the Republican Party is a product, certainly, of talk radio and now with the internet same might be true of uh the democrats doesn't it reflect a different media a different culture ira as well where yes uh, it does of course it's a much harsher environment than the one that i started out in uh when compromises were sort of bipartisanship was regarded as the way you did business compromises were common much harsher environment, particularly the media environment. And yet, if you look at 2022, not long ago, the Senate surprised a lot of people by accomplishing a series of things, ranging from a modest gun safety bill to the Chips and Science Act, to marriage equality, to getting the budget, uh, to overcoming the fear of default. They did one thing after another in a bipartisan way with 15, 12 to 20 Republicans joining the Senate, the Democrats. My theory, which is illustrated by that, the Senate has worked in years that McConnell permitted it to work for whatever reasons that he wanted it to work. There just haven't been very many of those years. We are talking with Ira Shapiro, the author of The Betrayal, How Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans Abandoned America, a very dramatic subtitle, <laughs> a very dramatic notion of betrayal of one's country. Um, well, I want to remind I everyone that uh, this high-quality content is brought to us by our friends at Liberties, the quarterly journal of culture and politics. It's going to run a short uh, video about liberties, and then we'll be back with uh, Ira Shapiro to talk more about this idea of betrayal. So don't go away, anyone. Don't betray me. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Ira Shapiro, the author of The Betrayal, a book about Mitch McConnell. Uh, Ira, the term betrayal is, is very strong. Um, people who betray their countries, uh, certainly in times of war, are 
stood up against the wall and shot. Do you really believe that not just McConnell, but the Republican Party have actually betrayed America? Are they un-American in your view? I thought a lot before taking, choosing the word betrayal. And the reason I choose betrayal, chose betrayal, is that the, the Senate had one overriding responsibility. They've got a lot of functions, but in our system, their overriding responsibility would be to check and stop a president who was threatening the constitutional order. That's their responsibility. The House could impeach, but the Senate would have to convict. So that's their responsibility. The second element is that they failed knowingly. The members of the Senate Republicans know that Trump was unfit to be president. They've said it privately. They didn't have the courage to do anything about it. They failed repeatedly and knowingly, Andrew. And that's the second element of the that brought me to betrayal. And the third element is the importance of their failure. This was an attack on our democracy. The notion that the election was stolen, the big lie by Trump, leading to January 6th and the attack on the Capitol, this, you couldn't have a more consequential set of events that the Senate was supposed to protect against. So yeah, betrayal's a strong word and that's exactly what it was. Do you believe then that McConnell and his Republicans, should they be punished for betraying their country? That's normally what happens to people, particularly in public office who betray their country. I think they should be punished by being defeated at the polls. I think I, there are a couple of them that I would have thought perhaps after January 6th should have been, I'm thinking of Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, who were sort of the leaders in the Republicans in terms of rejecting the certification, wanting to reject the certification at the Electoral College. I think they should have been censured or perhaps expelled. But generally, I believe you deal with politicians uh, through elections. And unfortunately, incumbents win most elections. But the point is, if you're asking me whether this was a betrayal, for the reasons I tried, I've described, I think it's the exact right term. Uh, the only reason I said they had abandoned America was I didn't want to use betrayal in the same sentence twice. What did McConnell or what does McConnell think about January 6th? I mean, there is an argument, Ira, and I have to admit I have a degree of sympathy to this, that it was a, a rather pathetic uh, mini riot amongst men who had nothing better to do with their time than run around with their iPhones and run in and out of the Senate. Was it really an, an insurrection? What does McConnell think or what did McConnell think? I think if you read what McConnell said in his speeches after January 6th, he thought it was an attack on the center capital, which he cares about deeply. He thought it was a terrible, terribly dangerous attack. Uh, 
He thought, as others did, that Vice President Pence and Speaker Pelosi were in danger for their lives. And no, I don't think it was just a bunch of ragtag people uh, sort of acting out. And McConnell didn't either. His, if you look at his speeches, they couldn't be stronger. And then he didn't have the courage to act on that by voting to convict Trump. So what was he thinking? Well, I think he was, I, genu I think he genuinely detests Trump. I think he felt Trump was too strong still to take down, but probably thought Trump's power would wither away. It turns out that was a bad bet. You're the author of a, a number of other books, a uh, couple of books in particular that are intriguing. One, um, Broken, Can the Senate Save Itself and the Country? And also a book about the last great Senate. How broken is America? It seems every time something happens, people talk about it being broken, existential crisis of democracy, and yet it continues to stumble on. What is your view of the current existential crisis, if that's the right word, of American political institutions and democracy? I think we're close to an existential crisis. I think that when I wrote the second book, which was in 2018, that was after the first year of Donald Trump's presidency. And I used the Senate as my lens on the democracy. And I was cautiously optimistic that they understood the threat that Trump posed because they seemed to be acting strongly, particularly in concern with his relationship to Russia, his inexplicable affection for Putin. But after 2018, several of the independent voices in the Senate either retired or passed away like John McCain. The Mueller report fizzled for various reasons and things got worse. And the evidence that I lay out in my third book and the reason I wrote it was the third book, the crisis becomes more serious and evident and the Senate, which has the responsibility, doesn't step up to it. Now we face a situation which is very problematic. Well, it's worse than problematic, where we have Trump still a very viable presidential contender. We have the House in chaos. We have the Senate looking good in comparison only to the House and Trump. And we have a radical and extreme, almost lawless Supreme Court. So, yeah, I think the threat is very serious. And but, I think. But, but Ira, you, you, you don't sound very democratic. You sound a little bit of an, uh, I don't know, an elitist or a technocrat. There's certainly. Uh, 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 there's certainly this Trump, for better or worse, has struck a nerve. His kind of populism has won over the Republican Party. He's romping home in, in the primaries. The, uh, the Supreme Court is, yes, it's conservative, uh, but um, many of the, 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 the members are, reflect a certain way of thinking about the world. 
isn't uh, isn't there a degree of sour grapes simply in what you're saying? You don't like these political forces, clearly. I I agree with you, but don't you have to acknowledge that that they're credible and that um, they reflect the the popular will, if there's such a thing, of of Americans at the moment in 2024? I don't I don't really think so. I think Andrew, the way the way I would view it is that. There was certainly room in 2016 for when Trump got elected. There was certainly room for an outsider to shake things up. More populist approach. I'm a former trade negotiator. We've been debating trade policy for years. Trump's position was economic nationalism. There's certainly room for that. The question is, though, can you do that? without ratcheting up hatreds across the board? And can you do that without attacking fundamentally the institutions that are important for our democracy? That's my criticism. In other words, if Trump serves his four years, tries to move the country in a certain direction, accepts the defeat in the election and says, too bad. I, I think I should have won, but I'll be back. I don't have any problem with that. But that's not what happened. The decision to try to uh, try to disrupt and prevent the peaceful transfer of power, to stay in power, that's a fundamental assault on democracy. And then you look and you say, well, why didn't the Senate do something about that? Will the Supreme Court, when the appropriate time is right, will they do something? Will the rule of law prevail? And recently, it appears that the rule of law may not prevail because they keep delaying the process by which Trump would be tried in cases where he's been indicted. So... No, I think that this when I I think it's more than sour grapes <laughs> for the reasons I've said. Um, look, I've been in I've been in politics in and around politics all my life. I've been on winning campaigns and many losing campaigns. But it was generally the case that if you lost, everyone knew that you had a chance to come back in four years. That's what's being changed if Trump wins. Uh, you, you wrote this book, The Last Great Senate. Um, the one example that comes to mind for me of perhaps a responsible Senate was how Republicans in the Senate dealt with Nixon. Is that a good comparison as a model for uh, political parties recognizing their constitutional responsibility? think it is a very good model, good example. It's a very good example. And what we, after Nixon resigned, there was a sigh of relief in the country. And people said, the system worked. Well, it did work. But it turns out that every part of the system has to work. The press has to do its job. The courts do their job. The House did its job. The House Judiciary Committee the Senate through the Watergate Committee, everybody did their part. 
And as a consequence, Nixon was forced, facing impeachment and conviction, Nixon was forced to resign. This time, the, the system didn't work that way. And the, part, the piece of the system that failed most conspicuously was the Senate. Because the House, actually, the voters elected a Democratic House as a check on Trump. The House impeached Trump twice, but the Senate didn't convict him when they should have. Far more serious things than that Nixon did. And Nixon's were bad enough. That is the betrayal, at least according to Ira Shapiro, has a book, a new book out on uh, McConnell, who just quit. Uh, the betrayal, how Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans abandoned America. I think one thing we can say for sure is he's not going to be remembered one way or the other by anyone. Doesn't seem to have a great deal of uh, a great deal of a following. Uh, the, the, the question now, finally, Ira, is who's going to replace him? Um, the Hill talks about the three Johns. They all seem relatively anonymous. Uh, yeah. Cor Cor uh, Cornyn and Barrasco. What's going to happen? Who is going to be the next McConnell? And, and it, are, are there differences in these three Johns or they're all rather pale, uh, pale consequences of this crisis of the Republican Party? Yeah, I think it's um, a good question. I think of the three Johns, uh, the first two, Cornyn and Thune, were closer to McConnell, and Barrasso is more, more conservative or more, more of a Trumpist. I think it really does depend on the presidential election. I believe if Trump, if Trump were to be elected, I think the the leader for the Senate would be somebody Trump wanted, and more likely to be closer to the what's called the MAGA wing, somebody like J.D. Vance or Marsha Blackburn, not the three Johns. So it all depends on the election. But I want to I want to go back for one second, um, Andrew, because I think you're understating McConnell's historic impact. I think McConnell had more impact than any senator in history that I'm aware of. I think he will be remembered for something he did and something he didn't do. The thing he did was found a way to stack the Supreme Court with what he would call conservatives and I would call extremists. He succeeded in that through a corrupted confirmation. Hey, hold on, wait, wait. Who are these extremists? Could you want to name them? Oh, sure. I'll name them. I, I would say the three extremists that he put on the court, extreme in their views, are Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. They combined with two other extremists, Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas, to give them five votes. And John Roberts is often with them, although he as chief has tried to seem occasionally more moderate. So why am I saying that? Well, the reason I say they're extremists would take a long time to go through their views. But focus for a moment on McConnell's role in what I would call a corrupted confirmation process. For the first time, McConnell refused 
the Senate leader refused to take up Barack Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland in the last year of Obama's presidency. That had never happened. He got a succeeded in keeping the vacancy open. Then he changed the rules of the Senate so there'd be no filibuster of Gorsuch. He put the spine in, he, he was the one who was able to push through Kavanaugh. And then eight days before an election, one more Supreme Court justice, sort of like the Banana Republic. You push through somebody even though your candidate's about to lose the election. So you brought up Nixon before, Andrew. Richard Nixon came to office in 1969, committed to moving the Supreme Court to the right. He was reacting to Earl Warren's liberal court. He, got, he made four appointments. He moved the court to the right. Andrew, no one ever questioned the legitimacy of those appointments. We had a legitimate confirmation process. People recognize that the president gets to nominate the justices. The Senate confirms or rejects. They rejected two nominations. Nobody ever questioned their legitimacy. McConnell gave us a totally different process, embittering people and plunging the court into a, a crisis of public confidence, which through their radical views, they've exacerbated. So the history is long and it gets complicated, but I would tell you that when I say that McConnell was impactful, he was impactful more than any other senator and more than any other Senate leader and through a corrupted process. And the other thing that I said, He'll be remembered for doing one thing and for not doing one thing. And of course, the not doing one thing is using his position, influence, and responsibility to stop Donald Trump. 